So um, I hadn't actually heard of one of John Piper's sons. I, I knew of one of John Piper's sons because um, I actually followed him on Twitter for a long time. But, uh, and it was funny enough, Steve and I were having a conversation about this. And, and it's funny after that, Steve, that I started to hear a little bit more about this other son of John Piper's called Abraham Piper, who I don't think anyone really knew him until last year he got onto TikTok and he's amassed almost a million followers since then and has become, there's been some articles written on him and, and partially because he's John Piper's son. And so that's one of his claims to fame. But he's got these videos now on TikTok that basically are all about bashing evangelical Christianity, calling out hypocrisy in the church, and just generally ridiculing those who follow the Bible, believe the Bible, and follow Jesus. And I'm not at all, uh, this is not an endorsement for him. It's not an endorsement to go and find him at all. In fact, I'd say be aware that that is not of the Lord. Um, but, but one of the threads among his, some of the videos that he's put out is, is calling out Christians. And I think there's something in that for us in, as in our mature Christian walk um, to think about. Because he basically, in his videos, he's saying, look, if you believe this and you claim this, what you claim, uh, why aren't you living differently? Like he's just saying... Like, so, and, and he does it in ways that don't always make sense, and, and there's, whatever, that's not the point. He does it in shocking and really persuasive ways, and it begs the question for us. This is what, what, what I kind of was gripped with this week. What does it mean and look like to live authentic lives that speak of Jesus to others? Like, in all areas, what does that mean to live authentically? And so... Um, my title this morning, actually, I apologize that my title has changed. So if you're like, if you hear this time, you're like, well, that wasn't what was in the email. Some things kind of were fluid this week as I was working through some of the text. And so my title is Sharing the Life-Changing Hope of Jesus. And I, alongside this, this week, I started reading a book uh, on parenting by John Mark Comer's parents. Uh, and the book is all about raising passionate, surrendered followers of Jesus. And they're asking in this book, how do we raise kids that love Jesus and desire to follow his ways with their lives above all else? And, and as they say in their book, they say not to profess a faith, but to possess a faith, a real faith, where the goal above all else, and this is what they say, is to love God and to love people on purpose. And so... I was thinking about this, and then I, I was, uh, this th stuff about Abraham Piper came over kind of into my sphere, and I came across an article by Dr. Michael Brown where he, he wrote uh, an article on Abraham Piper and why we need to confront the shallowness and the hypocrisy that is so prevalent in our churches today. That, and that it is to our own peril, and I believe this, if we ignore the rapid exodus of youth from the evangelical church. That is to our peril as the church. And I agree, Dr. Michael Brownie, he said that we are facing what feels like in these days a perfect societal storm due to many factors. And he just kind of brought out a few. He, he talked about a superficial, me-first Christianity preached to the last generation, the lack of personal experience with God a scarcity of solid discipleship and in-depth knowledge of the word, and a steady stream of leadership scandals. And he's saying all of these things, and he mentioned some others, have all contributed 
to this societal storm that we are facing in the church. And what grabbed my attention from what both Michael Brown and the Comer's book said was they highlighted the same exact crisis. And that was this, that scripture and history teaches us that every generation must have a personal, fresh encounter with God. Otherwise, unbelief or apostasy will set in. And that is absolutely true. We see it in scripture where it says that the next generation rose up in the people of God, the Israelites, and they did not follow God. They didn't know God. They didn't even know, like they completely abandoned what the previous generation knew of God. And so I want to jump off where I left sort of two weeks ago in a sense uh, on Resurrection Sunday. And that's bringing us back to the same question. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, if the resurrection of Jesus happened and physically he was raised from the dead, how do we live in light of this? How do you live in light of that? And I think that question right now, especially in light of where we're at in our culture, should be gripping us. How do we live if this is true? I, and I briefly touched on how Jesus' followers responded to his resurrection as they, as they realized this is true. This, this happened. And, like, and, and their response was radical commitment to the body of Christ radical commitment to discipleship amongst them and to reaching the world around them. So I'm just going to, I'll share some of my thought process on this. This is kind of where I was at this week. So I was thinking about all this and I was like, and this is kind of how the Holy Spirit seems to work with me, where I'm just, I was kind of thinking about this and, and like he'll, he'll draw in threads where I'm not expecting threads to come in and there'll just be these things coming in throughout the week and I was I was just saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What do, you, what do you want to say this Sunday? Because a part of me was pondering, do we go into a new series? I've got some things in the works there. What is the Lord saying to us? And I felt him say, no, I want you to camp on this right now. Felt led to camp and to focus on this. What happens with Jesus' followers after the resurrection? Like, we need to think about this deeply. That's, that's my conviction. Because what happened is extraordinary. Like absolutely earth-shattering, blow your mind, blow the doors off of all of culture, extraordinary. And his, his followers were gripped. It changed their lives. Like it wasn't just like a little compartmentalization of like, oh, we're going to go like we believe this. No, no, like it, it flipped everything upside down. And this is not just for back then. We are his followers, folks. We are followers of Jesus. This is for today. If you are a follower of Jesus. And I I know that we've stated this at times. I know. But it's essential for our discipleship to Jesus. And that's this. The Acts of the Apostles is not simply descriptive. We're not just reading history. This is prescriptive for us. Meaning, we are not simply reading stories and such. We are, we are seeing how God works and moves in his people today to further his kingdom on this earth and to bring about his purposes now, today, for his followers of Jesus. So, in that, one of my primary responsibilities 
not the only one, but one of my primary responsibilities is to equip you as the saints. You are the saints. I am to equip you for the work of ministry. I am not the only minister. You are all, every single one of you, doesn't matter who you are. If you say, I am a follower of Jesus, great. You're a minister of the gospel. And, I want, and it, is a, it is a heavy responsibility. I am supposed to equip you for that work. At least partly and go, come on, folks, let's go. So this is one of our primary callings. I was thinking about this alongside ministering to our families. I actually think that's also really important. That this, we, that this sharing the hope of Jesus with people is one of the primary callings we have along with ministering to our families. And I want to I give you a picture here for a moment in this. Think about this calling to ministry that you have as a minister of the gospel, embracing this call of ministry in your life, sharing Jesus with others, what he's done in your life. And I want, to think for, I want you to think and picture for a second that as we're doing this, that we begin to have people of all different sorts and types coming into the church because you're sharing. You're ministering in your sphere and people are coming in. And, and think about what that looks like as people come to go, I need to hear about the hope of Jesus. Sharing the hope of Jesus as much as we can in a hurting world. And this world is hurting desperately. So this is not just the responsibility of pastors and church leaders. In fact, this is the thing. All of you have impact. All of you have opportunity in areas that I'll never have opportunity in. Like, all of you, you enter into areas that I'm not getting access to because I'm not in that role or I don't run this business or I don't, I'm not in this career. All of you have access to spheres that I'm not in. So to think that like Paul's the pastor, Paul's the minister, no, 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 no. Like totally misguided biblically. You need to go into those areas with the hope, carrying the hope of Jesus, going, I've got the, the, the life-changing message that you need. My responsibility is to share in my sphere and to equip you for the work of ministry, to remind you of your calling. And so today, I want to I focus on the beginning of Acts. After Pentecost has come, and there's, I want to talk about six necessities for sharing the hope of Jesus. We're going we're gonna to drop in, so to speak, and read from the middle of Acts 3, but I want to set the scene for us here. Uh, and some of you might, might know this, but Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple to pray. And there's this beggar who's, he's a crippled, lame beggar who's sitting at one of the gates by the temple. And he begs people as they go by. And so as Peter and John go by, he wants money. And Peter turns and he gets his attention and he says, look, I don't have silver or gold to give you. Like, I can't give you any cash. There's nothing I've got to give you. Financially, sorry. But here's what I will give you, he says. And he says something, I think it's, I'm paraphrasing, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And in that moment, he reaches out his hand, takes the guy up, and the guy begins to walk. Like, 
he's crippled. He's, we learn later, I think it's in Acts 4, that he was over 40 years old. So he had been this way since birth, it says. Over 40 years, can't walk. In a moment, the power of God comes down. Peter takes out his hand. The guy gets up. Now, you can imagine people are around coming into the temple. They see this. They recognize the guy. They're like, well, we know that. That's, that's like the guy. He's always been there for years begging. What's going on? And it says that they're, they are filled, it says in the text, with wonder and amazement. Well, no kidding. Think about this. You see that. I think you'd be like, whoa, what just happened? Something remarkable is going on. Okay, so that's where we're at. Now we're going to parachute into the text. While the beggar held on to Peter and John. Yeah, probably was like, he's probably like, what in the world just happened? All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Sorry, I didn't realize, I didn't uh, mention what verses we were reading from. That was verse 11 to 16. So the first necessity for sharing the hope of Jesus, engage opportunity and be ready to share. Your opportunity might not be as flashy as Peter and John's. If it is as flashy as that, Praise Jesus, you're going to have an incredible opportunity on your hands. But whatever it is, all of us, if we are looking and if we're praying, and we're going to get to that part yet, if we're looking, we will have opportunity to share the hope of Jesus. Every single one of us. And I I think that there's been a tendency at times in the evangelical church to look for opportunity kind of outside of our daily normal lives, like we look at specific ministry opportunities that we can go on, we look at mission trips, or where we're, we're even sometimes we look at it more differently when we're traveling, right? And I, and I think there, maybe there's something to that. When you're, when you're on vacation, you have a tendency to slow down. You might actually be more prayerfully mindful of some things and looking for opportunities. But we have this tendency to kind of like put it outside, separate from our daily normal lives, And I think one reason for that, and when I've looked at this in myself, is it takes a lot more guts to live and share the gospel in the place where you actually live or work or are known, right? Because when you're somewhere else, it's like you're parachuting in and you're parachuting out. And it's like, that's easy because you're like, you have a set time frame and then then I'm out of here. And you know, if people really don't like me, well, whatever. But this is where right in the here and now where we live, where we work. That's where we live the vast majority of our lives as followers of Jesus. And Peter and John were going about their normal lives here. They're they're going to the temple to pray. 
That, that was just part of what it was to be a follower of God as a Jewish person. You went and you prayed. Now, we could talk about the shift in Peter here, his, or his character weaknesses, and we know he had a lot of them. We see them in the Gospels. They became his strengths, right? Like there, there was a boldness to Peter that we see throughout the Gospels that at times was a weakness that now is a strength where he's like, boom, he's speaking out. He's not afraid. But there was something that changed in Peter. We could talk about that, right? Where the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy, being filled with the Holy Spirit, there was something remarkably different about Peter. But here's the thing about Peter. You go, well, that was Peter. That was Peter the apostle. Peter had major character flaws still. Major. Galatians 2. Just read Galatians 2 and the whole thing that happened in Galatia with Paul, where Paul publicly rebuked Peter in front of others. That's years later, where he's like, what are you doing, Peter? You're, you're acting deceptively. You're acting one way with the Gentiles and one way with the Jews, and you're, and you're playing favorites. That, that's the kind of thing that was going on. Major, major character issues in Peter. So he wasn't some like high and lifted up saint that had special abilities and like, oh, we can't measure up to that. Peter was a normal guy. Character issues, but he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask, how is this different for any one of us? How is that different? Like, we've got our weaknesses. We've got our strengths. Do you have character issues? Most likely. Right? But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it says, lives where? Right here. Where? In where? In me. In you. Right? Lives in you. The same power. Do you know the same Jesus? Are you, are you following a different Jesus than this? I would hope not. Right? This is, this is the Jesus that we're following. This is the Jesus that we know. And so, have we been also redeemed and set free by the blood of Jesus? Yes, we have. And so, how can we not tell others? Why would we not tell others? Now, there's some things that jump off the pages in these verses. Like one of the things that Peter says here is he says, we didn't do this by our own power or our own godliness. Like right off the top, Peter's like, I'm not taking credit for this. Like in no way am I putting the spotlight on myself. He's like, he didn't take any credit. And that, if you read the story of Peter in the Gospels, that is incredible. That's transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter's not looking at himself anymore. He's like, no, this isn't about me. This is about what God did. God did that. There's no self-promotion here with Peter. There's, there's a lack here of the fear of man that is very present with Peter and John. They are not worrying about what others around them. And there's tons of people around them in this situation. They're not worried about what they might think or say. There is, they were not hindered by fear of what might, people might say or think. This is boldness. And this, this is always, folks, this is always going to be the issue for us. Always, always, always. You are always going to have to wrestle with fear of man. And we have to choose in those moments to push past it and go, Holy Spirit, I need your boldness. I need to be empowered by you. I can't do it. No, Peter couldn't either. What's our motivation to do this? Like, like why? Why? Why would we do this? Why would we bother? 
Because we want people to know Jesus. We want people to experience Jesus like we have experienced him. And so this is the thing about that, right? Your life with Jesus, your life, your individual life with Jesus is a driving force of this in your life. If you are not meeting with Jesus personally, you don't know Jesus personally, intimately, you're probably not going to be very inclined to want to share him with others. You're not going to be motivated. But we all have multitudes of opportunities to share the hope of Jesus with people. But we've got to be ready to be willing and engage when the opportunities come. Now, there's a context in these verses that's pretty obvious that Peter is speaking to Jewish people around the temple. Uh, these Jewish people, that had been, they had been witnesses to Jesus' public trial and execution. Like you can see in the words that he's using, he's speaking to people like he's like, you saw this. And, and it's like there's quite the rebuke in these verses where he's like, you did this to him. Like you, you did this. Now, Again, this is context, right? It's probably not going to be helpful if you're trying to reach people with the gospel and you're like, you start off by like, yeah, you killed the author of life. Want to hear about Jesus? Probably not going to be helpful in our culture, right? So there's context here in how we present this. But thankfully, Peter goes on. So let's, let's read on because this is helpful for us. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So the second necessity for sharing the hope of Jesus is simply to proclaim with clarity the simplicity of the gospel. This was sort of the initial seed for this message in me, was just this need for us to proclaim with clarity the simple good news of Jesus with people. And, and, I, and I believe that there is far more hunger in people when you begin to engage people one-on-one -on -one personally than you might think there is. Because we are led to think, and our opinions are led, uh, if they're shaped by things like the news media, social media, Netflix, TikTok, we're led to believe that people are antagonistic, they're not hungry, they don't care. I don't think that's true. I think there's many, many people who are really hungry when they begin to hear. I, it, I, I've been grieved to see in this time that there's Christians who are more passionate about getting all worked up, about sharing their objections to everything that's going on around us right now by, and what, what the decisions that our governments are making rather than being passionate about simply sharing the hope of Jesus. That is like desperately desperately misguided. If we are willing to publicly all get up in arms and passionate about this restriction and that restriction, and we don't want to talk about the hope of Jesus just as passionately, what's going on? And right in these verses, along with a couple from Acts chapter 4, is this simple and yet powerful 
powerful truth of the gospel. For us, Jesus was sent and appointed to come for us. Jesus suffered and died so that your sins, my sins, would be wiped out. We'd be forgiven. Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the power of God. When we repent and we turn to God, we experience forgiveness and the refreshing power of God in our lives. Titus 3.5 talks about the work of renewal that comes in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a work of renewal. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under, by which we are saved, says in Acts 4. And lastly, Jesus is coming again to restore everything as God has promised through his prophets in Scripture. That's all right there. All of that is right here. This is the simple message of the gospel. Now it's interesting, when Peter, when he's talking to the people there, he says, you acted in ignorance. That, that, the definition of ignorance is lack of knowledge. Many around us, folks, many, many people simply do not know. They do not know. I, uh, I don't know what it was, three years ago when I was on flying to Georgia with Ron and there was a guy in the seat beside me coming home, younger guy, about my age, and started chatting and I shared the gospel with him at one point. He had no clue. Zero, grid, nothing had no idea what I was talking about. I was blown away. I was like, it, it really challenged me going, there's people that really just don't know. So this is the simple gospel message right here. And it's, we can, you know, we can boil it down to this. It's really simple. We need salvation. Jesus came for us. He suffered and died for our sins, but was raised to life by the power of God. When we repent and turn to God, we experience forgiveness and the power of God in our lives. Jesus is the way, and he's coming again. There you go. That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel that we need. That's the gospel that the world needs to hear through us. Right there. And it really is that simple. And with a little effort, not just with a little bit of effort, you can in, begin to internalize that message in yourself so that when you are connecting with people and there's an opportunity and you step in, you go, hey, can I, can I talk about Jesus with you? Can I, can I share about the hope that I have, that I have found in Jesus Christ? What does this gospel do to you? Does it grip you? Does that gospel wreck you, so to speak? Does it ignite a fire in your heart that you were hopelessly lost, that Jesus has come and died for you, that you are set free, that you have forgiveness, that Jesus is coming again? Folks, he's coming again to restore everything back to what God intended. That's what's coming. Why did Jesus' followers share this gospel? What was it that led them to speak with such 
boldness. Knowing, knowing that persecution and imprisonment were pretty much guaranteed to follow. And it did. Like, why not just keep their little personal faith? Why not just, you know, sort of pursue lives of safety and comfort? Yeah, like, like Jesus was raised from the dead. Great. He saved me. I'm going to live with him someday forever. Let's just kind of keep this to ourselves. Let's keep this comfortable. Let's tend to our families. Let's tend to our businesses. Let's tend to our personal pursuits. But let's not get too crazy with this. And yet, they could not keep quiet. Like Peter and John, after this, they were hauled before the authorities and they were like, look, you need to stop talking about this. Stop, just stop talking about Jesus. And this was their response. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We've seen it. We've heard it. We know what happened. Whatever you want to do to us, go ahead because we know the truth and we're not shutting up. That's what they were saying. They wanted people to know. They wanted people to meet the risen Lord Jesus. He wasn't an idea. He wasn't a philosophy. He was a risen physical Lord which right now, again, just everything that's going on around us, just keep reminding yourself. And I was talking with Steve about this this morning. Play this out in your mind. Everything that's going on, we get uptight and worried about this and that. Jesus is Lord. Is he? Is Jesus Lord? Okay, just play that out, what that means. Authority over all things. Nothing is outside of his purview. He's not, he's not relinquished any power. He's not sitting on the sidelines going, oh my goodness, what's going to happen with COVID? I wonder what's going to happen. Oh man, I, like, I'm, really, I'm anxious about this. Not happening. No, no, okay, I know, like that might be, no, I'm actually not that funny. I'm not. Um, I have to remind myself of that constantly. This week, when I was getting upset about something, I'm like, the Holy Spirit's like, Paul, is Jesus Lord? Yep. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yep. It's kind of what the Holy Spirit thinks. He's going to make, okay. Now, here's, a, I think, a massive problem that we encounter in our culture, right in this. The majority of Christians think that it's perfectly fine to live a personal faith and not have to witness to the hope of Jesus with others. I'm just going to keep this between me and Jesus. I just want to keep safe. I don't want to stir things up. I just want to live safe and comfortable. I think that's a massive problem that we have in our culture. I think all of us feel it, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, I'm not putting myself above that and saying, like, I, I feel that. That's, that's real, and then you get the increasingly people saying no need to even fellowship with the body. It's becoming a personal faith. I don't need to be connected with the body. And then they go, well, those Christians that like, they're like, you know, those Christians, like they, they, they want to witness all the time and they want to tell people about Jesus. They're weird. Those, those, are like, those are like the fanatics. We feel that cultural norm. Preach Jesus? Share Jesus with the world? That's weird. 
I am strange. Just keep it personal and quiet. We need to push back on culture, folks. This is where we, not because we're trying to be antagonistic and we're trying to like be rude. No, 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 no. We need to push back on culture because people need Jesus. People really need Jesus. We really need Jesus. And, and I believe that if we don't do this, this is to our own danger. Culture is changing rapidly. Rapidly changing. If we, don't, if we just sit back and we live life and do nothing for the next five years as the church, what do you think is going to happen in this country? What we do with living the hope of Jesus, living it and sharing it, the hope, will play a significant part. So I got an invitation to an event this last week. It's kind of, again, one of these threads where just as I'm thinking about all this and I get this email, and at first I was like, oh, it just looks like another one of these emails. I, can't, I don't have time for this. I felt the Holy Spirit say, go read it, whatever. Just just felt impressed to go read this email, and it was an invite from If Gathering to this event they're going to be doing on this Tuesday night, and it's a free invite. If any of you want, you can, I'm happy to share the, the webinar link with you. Um, they're going to be interviewing a guy, a Western guy. I don't know the whole story. I think, and I think, it, I, I realized after, I think, Dan, it was on the If Gathering this year, so it's a, and I, I'm going to show a clip from that, but um, this guy is, uh, he married a Muslim woman who was radical, um, part of radical Islam. She got powerfully saved. They're now ministering in the underground church in Iran, and they're doing a, uh, her and David Platt are doing this interview with him on Tuesday. I want to show you a short clip, a minute long, that I think is really relevant to what we're talking about here today. Shane, if you have that queued up, let's, let's just watch what he says here. Do we got sound on? There's enough houses. Let's say that you had a child that, that grew up in America and wanted to stay. What would you tell them to do? How would you tell them to live practically? I would tell them to have a lifestyle of engaging the lost, showing that you care. We go to our stores, we go to discount stores, we go to clothing stores, and we don't even engage anyone. It's like we're asleep. We're sleepwalking. We're like zombies. And then all of a sudden it comes Easter or Christmas, okay, let's go talk to some unbeliever and bring them to church. Just bring them to church. The whole problem with the Western model is come and see. Because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and find. We don't even see a come and see model. It's all about going and finding the lost, going where they are. And so that's what I would tell my child is every day, I want you to meet at least five people new a day. And you say that now and you think it's so hard, but it's not. Don't you go to the supermarket? Don't you go to the gas station? Don't you go to the dry cleaners? Of course. So engage them. Go to your local coffee shop. Do you even know their names? We'll leave it there. I think we, we see where he's going with that. He says there, engage them. Be ready. Be ready to share. Folks, sharing our faith consistently and intentionally, it's not just normal. 
It's the means by which we grow in boldness and love for others. It's not going to mean that you have a great experience every time. You're going to face rejection. You're going you're gonna to face being mocked. You're going you're gonna to have people throw it back in your face. I've encountered all of that. I'm sure some of you have as well. But it's not about that totally. It's about being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It's about growing in boldness and increasing in love for others. And you'll be amazed what God does. But it does require, it does require stepping out and making ourselves vulnerable. You can't get away from that. The go, go and find model isn't, it takes vulnerability. It means people might make fun of you. It means people might say all sorts of things. And this is why we cannot disregard the third necessity here that I want to talk about this morning to share the hope of Jesus. Let's read. I'm not going to get through all of this today, so that's okay. We're going to, we'll come back to this next week. But verse 23, Acts 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. Okay, uh, so I'm going to stop here. So they, they were arrested. They were brought before the religious authorities and they were told to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. This is where they were like, look, whatever you're gonna, you can do whatever you want to us. We're not going to stop speaking. So they didn't really have any reason to hold them at this point. They released them. And they go back to the other believers. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate and met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Third necessity for sharing the hope of Jesus. Embrace and rely on the power of prayer. In Acts 4.8 earlier, when Peter and John, when they were brought before the authorities, it says there that Peter then, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to share the hope of Jesus then. Earlier in Acts 2, it speaks of the believers devoting themselves together to prayer. After these events here in Acts 4, Peter and John, what do they do? They go back to the believers and share what happens. What do they do? They pray together. They pray. Prayer, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, all of that goes hand in hand. All of it. What do they pray for? This is really interesting. Do they pray at, at any point here for an end to their persecution? Do they ask the Lord to just deliver them out of this mess? No. They don't. They pray for more boldness. They pray for great boldness. 
That's what their response is to this. They pray for more healings, more miraculous signs. They want more of God's power to show up. Why? I'm assuming because they want great boldness to share the hope of Jesus. And it's obvious that they embrace and rely on the power of prayer. Do we? We were talking this past week, we had a finance meeting here for the church, and we're talking about opportunities in the months and years to come where we would love to sow into missions and send teams out and to send families and, and just to begin to sort of embrace and engage that with intentionality in the years to come. And we talked about a need to pray into this, that we need to pray. Dwayne said, hey, let's, let's pray about this at our next night of prayer. So, got a night of prayer this week. So I guess one of the things we're going to pray about, we're going to pray into this. Because we need to pray. And God opens doors through prayer. Now, I'm going to be totally honest here. I can feel the tendency here to be really inadequate in sharing Jesus with others. Like, kind of like Norm shared that last week about, you know, sharing words with people, feeling like fear and trembling. That's, I fear that, I hear that with people. I, I, feel, I have that fear working in me feels pretty daunting and overwhelming at times. Like, how do, I, how do I reach my neighbors? How do I reach my neighbors in a way that they're like, that guy's kind of weird. How do I do this? And I'm pretty sure a lot of us feel this. This is where prayer together is such a gift. Prayer together. Embracing and relying on the power of prayer. Part of it is sharing. This is what, this is what I'm feeling the Lord's saying. Hey, can you pray for me? Can you guys pray for me? Because I need, I need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And this is part of why we need to continue to pray into and encourage one another into this. We, we encourage one another into this life. Living the way of Jesus. Sharing the hope of Jesus. Praying for boldness. I, I was gripped as we going, I think we need to pray for boldness. That's pretty clear from this. We should probably just start praying for boldness. When we pray together, boldness, Lord, boldness. The situation that the church here found themselves in, it was scary. It was unknown. It was out of their control, was it not? Sounds pretty familiar right now, doesn't it? I'm not saying it's the same, but it sounds familiar. What did they do? Start ranting on social media? Start desperately emailing their political leaders saying, listen, we don't like what, what the government's doing here. We don't like what the Roman government's doing. Stop it. Who might be behind all of this? Guys, if you the, who might be behind what's happening to us right now? Let, let's, let's think about that. No. None of that. They're not getting wrapped up in any conspiracy theories. They're not getting wrapped up in any sorts. No. We're going to pray. They lifted up their voices to God and they prayed. Why are the nations and our political leaders working to oppose God? They pray. Folks, it is okay to grieve reality in these days. Okay? There is, there is stuff happening in our world that we go, this is not good. It is okay to grieve reality. And to pursue Jesus amidst our grief. I don't know what's going on, Lord. I don't like this. I'm having a really hard time with this. But I'm going to pursue you, Jesus. 
Why are they gathering together against the Lord Jesus? Lord, consider what is happening and fill us with boldness, they prayed. For what? To share Jesus. We haven't read verse 31 yet. If you were like, why didn't Paul read verse 31? I want to read verse 31 now, okay? I kind of set it up. What happened after the church prayed together? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you think that was like a metaphor shaking? Like, just, just like they thought it? No, no, no. I, I think there was a physical shaking that happened. God moved. If you've been tracking with us, I'm, I'm going to wrap up here right away. If you've been tracking with us over the last year and a bit, we've been talking a lot about fostering patterns of renewal in our lives, cultivating spiritual habits like prayer and a devotional life, being a disciple to the way of Jesus, growing in desire for more of the Holy Spirit, more of his presence. Those have all been things that we've been camping on in the last year. One of the reasons for that is because we were made. You were created for mission. We were made for mission. We are created to live a life surrendered to the way of Jesus and to share it with others. That's what we were created for. And if you're prone to think right now, yeah, but Paul, you're talking about the early church. You're just talking about the book of Acts. This isn't now. Okay. Late 1940s, not that long ago, the Isle of Lewis near Scotland. Nothing remarkable about these islands. Nothing. Two women hungry for God's presence to move there began to pray. They were hungry. They were, they were seeing what was happening in the church. Churches were declining. People were uninterested in Jesus. There was just general apathy in, in the culture around them. And they began to pray. And they called their pastor at one point, and they said, God is going to move. And he came to them, and he said, okay, what should we do? They said, well, every Tuesday and Thursday evening from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., we pray. 10, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. We gather one hour a week. They said, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., grab some guys, pray, God's going to move. And they began to pray. And God began to move. God moved powerfully in that region from 1949 to 1952. Powerfully, powerfully moved. You can read stories of it. It's incredible. People who were uninterested in their houses, they didn't even want to be a part of it. They were so convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit that they found themselves leaving their homes and crying out on the streets because of their sin, their wretchedness, and how much they needed God. They didn't even want to come, and they were drawn. They didn't even know what drew them. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit was moving. The entire region, this is not, I'm not making this up, the entire region was transformed. There was people, until even recently, if they're still alive, they were still speaking about it to this day. They were children who experienced it. And it was known as the Hebrides Revival. That can happen anywhere where God decides to move. 
and his people pray and seek his face. There's nothing remarkable about the Hebrides. I want to leave you with a very simple encouragement. Maybe you might say it's a challenge for this week. But I really want to leave it as an encouragement. Pray that God would lead you this week, this week, to an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with someone. Right? Are you willing to pray that for this week, that you'd be praying and seeking and asking the Lord to provide you with an opportunity this week to meet someone and to share. And as that opportunity comes, and it will come, you pray that opportunity will come. Will you be ready to step into that and engage and share Jesus? Do it out of love for Jesus and do it out of love for the person that you're meeting. And next week, we're going to share testimonies. We'll, we'll have room for testimonies of what God has done this week. I, I, they're, they're, this is a stepping out. Okay? I feel this. This is a stepping out like, I'm saying this, and now let's pray that God's going to move. And next week, we'll look at the next three necessities for sharing the life-changing hope of Jesus. All right, guys, why don't you come up and we'll... Yeah, Dwayne... Great.